a Podcast One production. G'day, I'm Chris Russell and this is Agriminders. Plant-based proteins are increasingly being substituted into our diets, whether it's in our lattes or on the traditional Aussie barbecue. Now, when I was young, it was milk or milk. Not long ago, it was the only alternative was soy milk. But these days, the options seem to include almonds, oat, rice, hemp, coconut, and who knows what more. Plant juice products now account for about 7% of all milk consumed in Australia. And much of this growth is based on perceptions of health benefits. But are these perceptions born out of fact or out of fiction? To explore this, our agriminder today is Dr. Sarah Graffenau. Now, Sarah is an accredited practicing dietitian, but she's also the general manager of the Grains and Legumes Nutrition Council and a research fellow at the University of Wollongong. I first came across Sarah as a co-author on a definitive peer-reviewed paper that recently appeared in the Nutrients Journal, which is entitled Got Milk, that's spelled M-Y-L-K, The Emerging Role of Australian Plant-Based Milk Alternatives as a Cow's Milk Substitute. In this article, Sarah and her co-authors studied over 100 different plant-based milks to assess the differences if plant-based milks were substituted in the diets of both adolescents and older women. So welcome to Agriminders, Sarah. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Sarah, plant-based substitutes have been designed to meet the needs of special populations of people, including people who need to avoid lactose because they're intolerant or they have a perception that there's too much saturated fat or cholesterol. But they've also become increasingly popular among population without these dietary uh, perceptions or needs. When did that perception start gaining popularity? Look, it's, it's possibly happened in the very recent past. Um, we've been tracking plant-based milks at the Grains and Legumes Nutrition Council since 2016, and we've seen a 58% increase in the number of products on shelf. So there's something like 115 different products available in Australia right now. The reason that people have been choosing plant-based milks has changed over time. You know, people originally were diagnosed with lactose intolerance and so that was really an option for them. But it's almost now like food is fashion and we've seen the emergence of a whole new range of products from nut milks through to various uh, types of legume milks and other milks like coconut milk um, that's come onto the market. And maybe it's about gut health, maybe it's about cardiovascular disease, but there's, there's these other considerations around ethical and environmental considerations. Is this, do you think, uh, a push more coming from the suppliers or do you think it's a general you know, pull demand from consumers who are asking for all these different seeds to be made into juice-based products? 
I think it's a combination of both of those factors. I think we've got a lot of innovation happening in grains and legumes, particularly, and we are looking at how we can use these products in a number of different ways. Australia is a great place to grow grains and legumes, and so the council's role um, in the value chain is to encourage innovation. But I also think that consumers... Um, it, taste is king and so they're looking for great tasting products and although um, only about 7% of consumption is coming from these plant-based milks. It may be that consumers are drinking it while they're at a cafe in their, in their cafe lattes or soy flats, um, but perhaps they're actually drinking cow's milk at home. And so it's got to do with taste, you know. Do you think much of this demand has come from perceptions, particularly in in a, a very urbanised country like Australia, of environmental and animal welfare issues in animal-based agriculture um, as compared with the health perceptions? The, the whole plant-based um, trend is really increasing. It's in um, up in the top three current trends in food and nutrition. And so that has come upon the, the agenda. And from other studies, we know that flexitarian type uh, eating patterns where people eat less animal products is definitely a trend. And this could be part of that alongside of that plant-based meats area. I think that the main issue for, for um, nutrition is that because consumers see a white fluid uh, very similar to cow, cow's milk, they also perhaps think that the same nutritional benefits are there and that's just not the case. Okay, and you said in your study, in fact, that consumers reportedly perceive that, that plant juices will be mineral rich and good for your bones and all those things, as you say, similar to cow's milk. But is in fact that true according to your research? Yeah, no, it's not really the case. And I mean, I think food industry, um, you know, plays a big role in this and there's some excellent work happening in some product uh, areas and, and larger manufacturers, well-established manufacturers would be fortifying their products, but only a third of products that we looked at didn't state the amount of calcium that they contained. And that is a key nutrient to come from this sort of beverage. Only a third of the products on the market contained a similar amount of calcium as cow's milk. And in general, um, although a lot of the products were lower in saturated fat, the products tended to offer less protein, less zinc, less phosphorus, less vitamin A, less B2, less B12, and less iodine than um, cow's milk would um, contain. And so people potentially could be missing out. Listening to all that lot, it sounds like, is there anything that it offers that's ahead of cow's milk? I think, you know, like I said, consumers are primarily driven by taste and the products obviously appeal. And perhaps, um, you know, what we need to, to look at is where people are consuming these foods. We know um, from other research that oat milk is consumed through coffees and that cafe culture, but it's probably not consumed as a drink of milk at home. But nutritionally though, are there any advantages in plant-based milk other than taste? Are there any plant-based uh, juices that offer 
more nutrition than than cow's milk? I think the the strongest proposition for these products is from the the legume category. So if consumers were looking for the best products within the range, I'd be looking to the soy milks and making sure that they do report the calcium and that within one serve, so within 250 mils, you're getting around about 300 milligrams of calcium, which would make it equivalent to a cow milk product. And certainly if people are needing to remove dairy food from their diet, having that checked by a doctor and seeing an accredited practicing dietitian who can correctly advise you on replacing the, the calcium in your diet. Do any of the suppliers of these products boost their plant-based juices to try and compete? Do they, they must know about this vault that they've got in their product. Do they boost the, the nutrient supplements to try and get up to cow's milk? Yeah, they certainly do. And that's why consumers need to be very wise and actually turn around the packs to look at the side um, nutrition information panel and check for those nutrients there, particularly if they are restricting a whole range of food groups within their diet. Perhaps they've recently decided to be vegetarian or even more importantly, vegan, where some of the other nutrients in their diet might be at risk. The thing that people don't realise is the skeleton you have today, the bone you have today, isn't what you have tomorrow. It's constantly being turned over. And the reason that we conveniently suggest cow's milk is because it's high in those nutrients and actually has complementary nutrients within the fluid to actually help with absorption. So what manufacturers do is they fortify cows, um, these plant juice-based products um, so they are equivalent to, to cow's milk. But you need to look for that on, on the labelling. Is the availability of the nutrients that they put in there as, as good as it is in cow's milk or is that something that's obvious from the, the label, what the availability is? The bioavailability is something that we need to look into further, and I think we indicated that in the in the paper. Um, we're you know we're doing possibly the best that we can with the, the sorts of certificates um, that can be put into the, into these products, but we do need to to possibly research that area further. The gut, the human gut is actually very complicated and um, assessing that isn't actually the easiest thing to do. Uh, so we need to be mindful, particularly with at-risk groups. So we particularly focused on adolescents and older women in our paper to look at how well these plant-based milks supplied nutrients to meet the needs of, of the groups. And we found that the legume milks were far superior. For infants and children who are actually the most, um, you know, risky groups in terms of changing from a cow milk product to a plant-based product, there are warning statements on pack. And particularly if the product is low in um, protein, um, they will be restricted to children older than five years of age. And if the protein is more moderate, but the fat content is low, the suggestion on the side of the pack will be not for children under two years of age, similar um, as with cow milk products where reduced fat products aren't suggested under two years of age. Are there differences between the different seeds 
um, and the juices that you get from them in terms of these nutrients and their availability in your research? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because in some of the products, you're getting very small amounts of the actual original ingredient or the the characterizing ingredient. And, you know, without talking specifically to this, but often there's very little um, in the original product. A lot of the product can be just um, water based um, without understanding fully the technical side of the production of the milks. So, we need to be aware that there are big differences and it is worth looking at um, the various differences between the milks. Rice milk, for example, will be much higher in carbohydrate. The fat content of coconut milk will be much higher. And then you get other, other features from the other ingredients that might be used. But good old soy milk, soy milk's been around for a long time now and it was the, the strongest proposition in terms of the nutrition on the market. What about amino acids? I noticed that amino acid makeup, that's the, the building blocks, if you like, of what protein is made from is, is amino acids. And the makeup of these are quite different. Um, animal protein, of course, is very similar to our own amino acid makeup, but that's not necessarily the case with plants. So is there a danger if people rely too much on plant-based juice for that, for that sort of uh, protein source that they may miss out on some of those amino acids? So we know that grains and legumes contain complementary amino acids. So as long as people are consuming a mixed varied diet, they're likely to make up those essential amino acids from other foods that they're consuming. So no, it's not really a concern in countries like Australia where we take on board plenty of protein. So Sarah, I've noticed that there's some of the plant milks actually are supplemented with sugar. Um, and I imagine this is to try and improve the taste. What is the sugar situation with plant-based milk substitutes? Yeah, so there are some products on the market that are obviously sweetened, um, but where where other plain milks are sweetened, it is more for a food processing and, and technical um, reason. And it's not going to take away from the nutritional value of the milk. Um, it is a very small amount that's contained there in general in the plain milks. And so really consumers have no need to be concerned um, when it comes to the, the, the plain milks in this category. Pla yes, you're talking about the plant-based milks. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sarah, putting on your hat as General Manager of the Grains and Legumes Nutrition Council, how much is this trend being driven by grain producers in terms of they actively marketing this as being a key way to increase their, their sales of their grains and legumes, or is this really just a byproduct to them? I, I mean, Australia is a great place to grow grains and legumes, and we do produce, you know, world-renowned quality product. I don't think that um, growers per se are really pushing this, although they are constantly now on the lookout. I think farmers are far more savvy, and they are looking for different opportunities for their for their grains and for their legumes. And I think. 
the legume market particularly is a place where we need to become even more savvy uh, around what we can make with our homegrown based products. A lot of what we grow goes overseas and so making more products and value adding on legumes in Australia is a, a fabulous um, opportunity for our country. I've noticed um, in some of the, I've been part of webinars and things that have been looking particularly at, at substitutes for meat based on animal proteins. And I've noticed that the protagonists for, for meat substitutes, you know, are quite aggressive in their in their kind of approach to ordinary meats. They're, they're not seeing this as a, as a supplement to, to the world's food supply. They're seeing their mission as the elimination of animal-based meats. Is that the case with this as well? I think there's a lot of passion right now in the plant-based meats area. Um, and it is an area that we've looked at as well from the Grains and Legumes Nutrition Council. We've looked at the, the product growth in that area and it's quite phenomenal. I think, um, I think the thing about all of these products is they tend to get a bit of a halo. And so consumers perceive that they're really helpful, but we still need to be wise around looking for those cues that are on pack around whether they are beneficial for our diets overall. There are some remarkable uh, landmark studies um, from Eat Lancet looking at sustainable eating patterns for the future. And we are seeing the rollout of new dietary guidelines in other countries. The Canadian guidelines in particular have depicted far more legumes and far less animal proteins on the plate. Um, and so we are now looking at our dietary guidelines in Australia. The funding was announced not so long ago. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that issue of sustainability plays out. And we have some research underway right now looking at plant-based, the plant-based proposition to see what consumers think about that. We know that the flexitarian sort of lifestyle where people are changing their diets to eat less animal proteins and, and more from plant-based foods is certainly on the rise. Um, and whereas you think that, you know, veganism and vegetarianism has really sort of picked up, this whole idea around eating more flexibly around your animal proteins has definitely um, come of age. At the Grains and Legumes Nutrition Council, though, we like to have meat still on our plate, but we definitely see a big opportunity for, for legumes and more whole grains into the, into the future food supply. I know that you're also a bit of a consultant and a guru on branding. Um, and I'm just wondering how influential, you know, milk cartons with fun colours and social media sort of promotions and all that sort of thing, how much place that's all had in the promotion of either dairy milk or plant-based juices, you know, in the market? Or is the branding thing really not been a big factor? 
Yeah, the thing that we mostly focus on at Grains and Legumes Nutrition Council are claims on PAC. And I think claims and how they've changed over time is really interesting. Um, We look at all the grain and legume categories, and that's how we came to look at plant-based milks. And it's interesting to see the direction in the, the wording used on claims to attract customers. We're currently looking at the, the plant-based opportunity and part of that is looking at how often plant-based claims are, are being used and also claims around dietary fibre. And we're seeing far more of those in the market, but set in a very positive way. So for example, um, claims around um, dietary fibre used to be very much focused on constipation and elderly people's issues, but now the focus around fibre is much more positive and around gut health and gut wellbeing. And I think that's also playing out in this category of plant-based milks. People have thought that milk might cause them a grumbly tummy. And so having these products on the market has been important from that point of view to help reduce symptoms around um, gut and tummy tummy troubles. Sarah, have you, on that sort of marketing side, have you had any pressure or even offers of funding from the animal rights lobby for promoting plant-based products, um, you know, for their political reasons? Have you seen any of that in the council or no. uh, in, the, in the marketing of these products? No, not at all. Um, we're, we're very much a science-based, um, evidence-based driven organisation and we, we work mostly with the grain and legume industry. So really with colleagues who are scientists, food technologists and dietitians, um, and, and, and also our friends at, um, across the grain industry. So from GRDC, Grain Growers and the Australian Export Grains Innovation Centre, who are our main funding organisation. Oh, well, thank you for clearing that point up because I think that's in sometimes in the back of people's minds when they see some of these uh, promotions that comes up. What about compared to overseas? How has the marketing been successful in Australia compared with the success the companies have seen overseas in, in capturing a share of the animal-based milk market? So I think that, that what, we, what we often see is in Australia is that we follow the UK and the US. And so um, often we see that the, the trends that play out in other places then filter down to Australia. Um, we've got a particular opportunity to use locally grown products because we have excellent um, crops from from oats and from from wheat um, and also from that legume market although we do tend to import a lot of soy protein products for for the plant-based meats market and also the milks market there's other opportunities though for Australians because there's sensory testing underway with a whole range of legumes um, with particularly good results seen for chickpeas and mixtures of legumes and also lupins, which are primarily grown in Western Australia. So there's lots of opportunity for Australian growers of, of various grains and legumes to engage in this plant-based milks market. 
So in your paper, you also wrote a series of approaches can be exploited by food technologists to compensate for some nutritional limitations. We mentioned before about, you know, inserting or modifying uh, milks, but what future developments are on the drawing boards at the moment for plant-based uh, milk alternatives? So food technologists are really the expert in this area and it's becoming increasingly complex. Um, They would really be the ones to answer this question, but there are a range of new ways of getting more bioavailable fortificants into packaging. So when the food enters the gut, it's well absorbed and it's recognised as um, a form that can be taken up very easily. So it's the Grains Research and Development Corporation, which we call the GRDC. Are they doing more work in this area of improving um, the availability and, and the quality of, of plant-based juices? I think GRDC would be is interested in supporting farmers and making sure that there's return on investment for farmers. I think that's their main uh, goal. If there's opportunity from a science point of view to produce um, better um, products that farmers can use on the land, they are investing in that area. Um, from our point of view, we're really here to support the entire value, grain, value chain. Um, and so our work is, is slightly different, mostly focused on the food supply and what turns up in the supermarkets and helping our food industry friends to produce better products using whole grains and legumes. And is your council supporting research at GRDCs and so on to further make um, the plant juices more suitable? For example, better frothing in lattes or anything like that? Is there any work going on in that area? No, we're actually a not-for-profit charity. So we're very poor in the scheme of grains and legumes. Um, We tend to do most of our research in-house ourselves from these sort of audits um, or from looking at health star rating or from looking at other advocacy or health areas within the grain and legume sector um, rather than actually sponsoring research ourselves. So Sarah, what do you think the long-term position for for plant juice and plant-based milks and also for plant-based substitutes for meat as a percentage of traditional milk and meat consumption uh, is? I think that over time we will see um, Australians struggle to afford meat. Uh, I'm not as sure around milk, but I think that increasingly legumes and legume-based products and plant-based alternatives will become uh, more normal. Um, I think that we're already seeing this trend. There's some published research that I've become aware of just today that looked at a representative sample of Australians that reported 20% um, were trying flexitarian type eating, which means they're eating far less meat or occasionally eating vegetarian meals during the week on purpose for better health.
And you think that is what's driving it? It's all about health, you're saying, really, there? So for the flexitarians, yeah, this study said that it was about health. It was different for vegans and vegetarians. Vegan people that have chosen a vegetarian or a vegan lifestyle had other issues that they were looking at, either animal welfare issues for the vegans or environmental issues for the vegetarians. So this was a representative sample of Australians who were providing their, their, you know, their rank order of um, priority in terms of either health, environmental concerns or animal welfare. And they swapped between groups. So the flexitarians were definitely doing it for health reasons, whereas the other groups, uh, as I've said, were looking for looking to follow those dietary patterns for other reasons. Okay, well, Sarah, that's been a fascinating insight into the world of uh, plant-based um, alternatives to milk. We've seen it grow all the time and it's quite the the, the uh, target of all sorts of jokes, the, the, the choices that you now have in what used to be just a cup of coffee. Um, and, of course, we're now into this amazing array of different products that can be had. It's interesting to see that some of that's based on myth, some of that's based on taste, and maybe some of it's based on a little bit of magic. But we'll see. It'd be very interesting to see how they grow in the future. So thank you very much for being our AgriMinder today. No problem. Thanks, Chris. Milk ain't milk. And yet we've seen the perceptions of health benefits cause plant-based protein to creep into traditional foods over many years. As General Manager of the Grains and Legumes Nutrition Council, Dr. Greffenau has dispelled the perception that plant-based milks are better for us. So what is the driving force? Well, try taste. Once again, taste and drinking experience rules. And providing we meet our nutritional needs from other sources, it's a relief to know we can make our milk decision based on what we'd like, rather than thinking it's going to be just better for us. I'm Chris Russell. Join us again on AgriMinders. Special thanks to the AgriMinds Think Tank Group. AgriMinders was presented by Chris Russell and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Produced by Jennifer Goggin, edited by Lindsay Green, and with sound production by Matt Nikolich. <laughs>